Pursuit is a podcast for people ready to make the most of every opportunity. In the race to success, we're not all starting from the same place. Level the Pursuit seeks to fill in the gaps and provide accessible, bite-sized leadership lessons for anyone looking to improve their skills and prepare for the next step, whatever that might be. Last week, we talked about communication skills and how we can use our words, our body language, and our relationships to get the most out of our interactions. Did you start working on your weak spots? If not, incorporate some practice on your personal communication this week. These skills have to be practiced to get good at them, but the cool thing is they pay off even when we're just starting out. As you work on your skills, you might notice when we're interacting with someone with similar backgrounds and thought processes, communication can still be a challenge. But what about dealing with someone completely different? Someone who looks different, thinks differently, and maybe doesn't respect who we are and what we think. What do we do when someone judges us before they even know us? In today's discussion, we're going to talk about bias. There are tons of fantastic resources specifically addressing race, gender, and sexual identity bias, and I don't presume to be as comprehensive as these experts, but I will provide an overview to help you open your mind to the study of bias in your own life. Bias is part of how our brains process information in many cases. Recognizing and addressing our own biases is important because it helps us to see the world better, but it's also important we learn to address biases that we see around us to help us create a more inclusive and productive society. Over the next week, I'd like to challenge you to spend some time thinking about your own biases. It's easy to spot them in others, but it's much harder to turn that critical lens on ourselves and start to open our minds. So what is bias and where does it come from? Bias is giving disproportionate weight to your perceptions in favor or against a person or idea. So basically, it's when we take information that seems to be related to what's going on, but isn't necessarily, and we make assumptions or judgments about the people or events that are happening based on that information, even though it may or may not have anything to do with what's actually happening. It can be conscious or unconscious. Conscious bias is where we see or hear some form of information and we choose to act a certain way. Unconscious bias is when we react and we don't even know we've done it. So conscious bias can take a negative form through words or actions such as racial slurs, hate crimes, or positive forms such as programs targeting particular cultural backgrounds or populations to give them opportunities. Unconscious bias manifests in more subtle ways like microaggressions like crossing the street to avoid someone or holding your purse tighter when someone gets too close to you. But it can also be micro-affirmations, like nodding when someone talks or mirroring their movements in a show of support when someone is in the group with you. In its negative forms, bias is rooted in two things, fear and ignorance. But let's take a moment on that. We hear those words and we think of them as insults, but they are normal states of being. Fear is a vital instinct. God gave it to us to protect us. It comes out of the desire to protect ourselves and our loved ones. And ignorance just means you don't have all of the information you need to be informed on a subject. We're all afraid sometimes. We, and we've all been ignorant about tons of things. It's unrealistic to think that you're not going to be ignorant about a lot of things. In its positive forms, bias can still be rooted in fear and ignorance. Programs can be developed out of fear that opportunities are not equal. And ignorance can be part of the understanding of what opportunities are actually out there. Now, I'm not saying that either one of these is good or bad or either side is right or wrong. I'm just saying that both sides do have that perspective. How you feel about the actions and the underlying rationale depends very much on your point of view in the situation. So you may think it's a really negative thing where someone else thinks it's a really positive thing, and that's normal because it all depends on your perspective. 
So when we say bias, many people think of racial or gender prejudice, or maybe bigotry against the LGBTQ community. But underlying these obvious forms are several mindsets that can drive our thought processes and behaviors. There are hundreds of different cognitive biases, so if learning about this is your jam, social psych might be a good place for you, but I want to talk about a few that I think are really relevant to how we interact on a daily basis. Now, understanding these biases won't necessarily help you understand someone who is committed to their prejudices, but they can help you address people who are willing to learn. So what do we talk about when we talk about types of biases? So cognitive biases are mental ways of processing information that we use in order to make quick associations and assumptions. So some common ones that we see that actually underlie a lot of the other types of prejudices we see. Number one is anchor bias. So anchor bias is using the first information or the only piece of information you have as a baseline for comparison. And this is something that I dealt with quite a bit. Ortho is about 9% female. So I've been in a lot of situations where the surgeons I'm working with have never worked with a female. And that's a lot of responsibility because if you're good, it's really strange. They think, okay, you were good, but if you're bad, they think all female surgeons were bad. And that's a situation that a lot of people get into. If you're working with someone who's never worked with someone who looks like you or you're gay and they've never worked with a gay person, it's like every mistake you make or every negative thing is attributable to everybody in that group. And that's, it's not accurate, obviously, but it's a really common bias that people have in their head. And you'll also see this if you're the second one. So if they had a bad experience with someone who looks like you or acts like you or even has just a similar personality, they may take it out on you or expect you to behave in a certain way or not give you the benefit of the doubt because the last person they worked with was not someone they liked being around. And so you can end up kind of paying for someone else's sins, which is not fair or reasonable, but it's something that can absolutely happen. The next one is the halo effect. And that's where one good or bad attribute makes you think everything about someone is a good or bad. One of the ways we see this is in how people speak. If someone has difficulty speaking in public, if they have a strong accent, or if their diction or their grammar is not perfect, then people tend to think that they're stupid, even though they might be incredibly intelligent. They're just, maybe this isn't their first language. Maybe this is just not their primary method of communicating. And so it's really easy to make that association when it's totally false. The person could be totally smart and know exactly what they're talking about, but an accent or, or their way of speaking, because it's different from yours, you, you can make that assumption. The next one is the bandwagon effect. And that's kind of the herd mentality. That's when one person or one group thinks something and everyone thinks that in order to be part of the group. You see this in the workplace and you absolutely see it in cliques at school where the cool kids act a certain way and so everybody wants to be part of that and they all do the same thing. This can be really dangerous because the crowd does not always make the best decisions and so it can be really difficult for the people who are not in the crowd or want to be in the crowd to dissent against the opinions of the crowd. Related to that is the in-group preference bias. And that's where we search for commonalities and we tend to think our own group is the best, whatever group we're part of. And that can be based on race or culture or whatever it is, but it's where you tend to think that your team, that, the, that you're part of, has the best whatever it is, that you dress the best, you behave the best, that your performance is the best. And that can actually be a positive thing sometimes when you're trying to create teamwork and morale and esprit de corps, but it can be negative when you use it to judge other people. The next is what we call confirmation bias, and this is one that we see huge in politics. And that's where we only pay attention to things that support our own opinions. 
In politics, very commonly, you'll see people who are very far right or very far left, and they only follow the news networks that share the stories that appeal to them. They don't like to hear good things about the other side. That is not a productive way of doing things. Besides the fact that the media tends to give a slant on the story that is not completely accurate or unbiased, but beyond that, it's really helpful to know the other perspectives, and it's helpful to get the facts from different points of view. Because as we've spoken about before, our truths are not all the same. And so you want to know what other people are thinking. So confirmation bias is especially difficult to, to combat because it's comforting to hear things that support what you already believe, but it's also really, really detrimental to opening your mind and hearing new ideas. And the final one is what we call fundamental attribution error. And that's where you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but you don't give other people the benefit of the doubt. So if you mess up, it's because of personal circumstances or difficulties. But if someone else messes up, it's because they're bad people or they're stupid or they just don't do things right. One of the ways that you see this all the time is when we're speeding. If someone speeds by you on the highway, you think, oh my gosh, that jerk, I can't believe he's driving so crazy. What's going on with that? But when you're speeding, you think it's totally fine. And clearly it's not fine in some cases and not fine in others. So you have to think about giving other people the benefit of the doubt that you would give yourself. Another way we see this in society today is the bootstrap mentality, where you had a difficult childhood, a difficult upbringing, and you worked really hard and you attained success. And there are a lot of people of all colors who dealt with poverty and abuse and all these terrible things, and they worked really hard and attained success. And so when they look at other people that are having a hard time, they say, well, I could do it, I worked hard, I got here so anybody can do it and you're just not working hard enough. And that's not the case all the time. I mean, we know that there are institutional blocks to success for a lot of people. So to say if someone is unable to be successful, it's because they are lazy or they're not smart or their culture does not prioritize achievement is totally missing the fact that each of us walks a completely different path and we are each facing different factors in society which allow us to succeed or to fail. So it's not going to be the same for everybody and you need to recognize that. What you were able to do, if you attain success after having a really hard childhood, that's freaking awesome. But that doesn't mean that someone else is facing the same factors that you were and they can put forth the same effort in order to achieve the same success. It's just not the same for all of us. So why is bias bad? Well, it affects our perceptions and our behaviors and our attitude it also affects our attention. It affects how we, our body language when we talk to someone, our ability to listen to them. So this can be overt and unmistakable, like opportunities doled out in an inequitable manner or things that we say or do that are just plain rude. They can also take the form of microaggressions and microaffirmations. And these are small behaviors where we unconsciously show aversion or affinity for people in how we react to them, how we act when they talk, and how we behave around them. Now, when we talk about overt bias, we can also be talking about egregious acts like terrorist acts and hate crimes. And those things have no place in our society and clearly we need to work together to end them. But they're beyond the scope of what we're talking about here today. So I'm not gonna really touch on that because I'm focused more on the subtle day-to-day -day actions we have to deal with. But how we see it on a day-to-day -day is diverse organizations are more effective and diverse groups are better at solving problems. There's tons of research that shows this. But in most industries in our country, our cultural, racial, gender, and sexual identity mix is not reflected in the, in the leadership of our organizations. 
nothing like that is simple and, and you can't attribute it to one thing. It's not just all, it's not all systemic. It's not all choice. It's not all cultural, although all of those things do play in. But there absolutely have been written and unwritten blocks to those populations attaining power in many fields. Additionally, you see this in our institutional policies around funding for schools, social programs, housing, all of those things have things built in that were rooted in bias and have been propagated through generations. So how we see this in our educational system is by the generation of objective standards for standardized testing. And these are based on majority norms, which in our country is white America, but there are no alternatives. And so there's nothing wrong with that, except that we have tons of people who are not part of that culture. So when you base norms on culture that is totally foreign to somebody because they have a rich culture that they brought here, which makes our society super cool and diverse and have so many wonderful things about it, you completely ignore the fact that they're working from a totally separate frame of reference. And that's problematic because the best and brightest from all of these cultures that bring this richness to our society are not getting opportunities to continue to rise in education, in industry, and in leadership positions. Additionally, we see this in disproportionate disciplinary action in school. Children of non-white cultures who behave in a way that's completely appropriate for how they were brought up or how they are in their home are disciplined for acting out or failing to assimilate to the majority culture. And that's not fair because that's not who they are. Additionally, they're held to different standards for dress and appearance or their hair and how they look, how they dress might be completely appropriate for their culture. So I'm not saying that private organizations are not allowed to have standards for behavior or dress and appearance, but as we're developing these standards, we really need to keep in mind that we have a diverse culture in our country and it's not just one type. So we need to develop standards and rules and an understanding of behavior and appearance that is sensitive to all of the people that we want to recruit and retain and encourage so that our society can actually achieve its full potential with everyone able to contribute in a way that works for who they are. How we see this on a day-to-day -day basis is microaggressions against whatever population's not in power in that moment from jumping out of the elevator when you get on and following you around a store like you're gonna steal something, to talking over you or failing to give you credit for your contributions, there are tons of little ways that people can try to silence your voice. And one of the ways that people do this is by taking something that's true or maybe even would be a compliment and turning it around and using it as an insult against you. Many people of color have experienced something like this when they make a point and someone says, oh, you're so well-spoken, as though it's a surprise that someone with pigmentation is able to make a good point. And it condescends to them instead of celebrating the argument they just made or arguing back. Now, keep in mind, everyone that compliments someone when they speak is not trying to diminish them, but there's definitely a tone and a circumstance where you can tell that it's not meant to be as complimentary as the words themselves would imply. I personally experienced this when someone used my education to insult me. When I would say something, when I would make a point or when I'd express an opinion, there was a guy who would do the same thing. He would say, well, you, clearly you went to Yale, so you must be smarter than everyone else, so you must be right. And he would do that to undermine my opinion because he wasn't capable of mounting an effective argument against it. And so he disrespected me I saw it, uh, I feel like other people probably saw it 
which is unfortunate that no one said anything. But as I look back, I really regret not saying something because we were on fairly equal footing with respect to position and power. And I really did have an opportunity to do something about it. But to be honest, he wasn't important enough to me to try to do something to make the relationship better. So I do feel bad that he's going to go on to continue to exhibit these behaviors until someone says something. And so I wish I had said something for that reason. But at the same time, the relationship at that time for me was not important enough to try to create something better. Now, you may not always have the luxury of doing that. You may need to engage even when you're, you don't want to because the relationship is important either to who you are or to the position that you have or the position that you want to gain. But is bias always bad? It's a shortcut in the brain, so it can help you build rapport quickly based on previous associations. So someone who has lived in the same place you have or likes the same kind of food, or if you have friends in common, that can lead you to create connections and think of people positively, even though they haven't necessarily earned it just yet. As social creatures, we tend to be more comfortable creating relationships with the people around us. So that's a positive thing when we can use these to kind of cut to the chase and start building a relationship. Additionally, it helps you make decisions quickly in a crisis. You know, I mentioned earlier that it was rooted in fear, but there was a time that being able to make quick decisions without thinking about it kept us from being eaten by wild animals. So that was protective and it was a good thing. We don't want to be eaten. So sometimes acting on biases can actually be protective. And as leaders, we can feel comfortable challenging our teams to expand their skills based on success in one area. So if you give someone a project and they do a great job, when another project comes up that might not be in the same area, you might want to give them a chance to see what they can do in that other area. Now, you have to weigh that appropriately because if you misjudged and you put them in a position where they're not qualified, that's actually your fault for using that bias to expect them to succeed in an area where they were not prepared to do that. So it's good to keep that in mind. And then institutionally, outreach programs targeting different groups can be crafted to remove barriers and make the whole system more equitable. Because there's been bias in the system for so long, it will take some degree of offsetting bias to get it to neutral and create a level playing field, but that can be really positive. But again, depending on your perspective, you may see those offsetting bias programs as negatives and taking something away from you. So it's good to know that those perspectives are there on both sides. So how do we confront bias? Well, we have to start with our own. You have them, you do, I do, we all do. Seriously, you have to accept it. And if you've been subject to bias or prejudice a lot in your life, there's a good chance you have more than a couple and they're really, really strong. It's a natural response to protect yourself when you've been bombarded with negativity, but you have to recognize that they are there. You cannot approach someone and try to confront their biases without being aware of your own because it looks hypocritical and people have a hard time hearing your message if you're generating as much bias as you're trying to end. But as we look at other people's bias, remember, it comes from fear and ignorance. So the fear can be that they will lose position or opportunities or safety. That may not be the case, but let's be honest. If our best and brightest of every color and every group were suddenly given equal opportunities for success, there would be people currently in power who would lose their position, who would lose their jobs, who would make less money. So it's not an unreasonable fear. Now I'm not saying it's fair or okay for people to be jerks about it. And I'm not saying that institutional racism and sexism and all of the other prejudices, I'm not saying it's okay that they're there. 
but you have to be aware that fear makes people act irrationally. So you, you must know it's there. Ignorance is a little easier to counteract. Remember, they don't have all the information, or at least it's not there in a way that they feel comfortable processing it. So if you're, you are able to connect with them and find the root of their bias, you might actually be able to help them see past it. So how do we do that? Well, to start off with, you can do it indirectly. You can use your body language, your posture, your facial expressions. You can leave the room. I mean, showing disagreement or distaste or offense is not that hard to do. I mean, you've seen someone do it. That's not necessarily the most effective way, but depending on your situation, it may be the one that you feel most comfortable with. Next, you can try using a friend or an intermediary, a person, a mutual friend, a mutual colleague. You can talk to them about it, and especially if they are good friends with the person that you're concerned about, that might the message might be received a little bit better. You can also use resources at work or school. There are plenty of programs, administration, anonymous complaint mechanisms, all of those things are around. But I will tell you, some people may be frustrated you didn't tell them first, especially if it was born out of a lack of understanding rather than malice. And if we assume that in general, people are good people that are trying to do the right thing, if you feel comfortable, even with a friend or an intermediary, you might wanna address it with them first. But if you don't, at the end of the day, you should do what makes you feel comfortable. And so if it's something that needs to be addressed, you should address it in the way that you are able to do that. Next, we can try to do it directly. And one way to do that is just to start with, what do you mean? What did you mean by that? I didn't understand what you said. That can be pretty straightforward and it's not accusatory. Or you can just ask them to repeat themselves. A lot of times people speak offhand, especially in casual conversation, and they may not even be fully listening to themselves. So when you ask them to say it again, as they process the comment, they may decide that they don't wanna say it. But you should give them the benefit of the doubt if you can. Most of these things are unconscious. People may truly have no idea that they've said something offensive. Even if they have though, you have to give them the space to be wrong, to apologize, or to say nothing at all. It's very easy to wander into a space where you're talking about who this person is instead of what they said or what they did. You may not care if you hurt their feelings, and there's a lot of circumstances where you may have such a relationship with this person that you truly do not care how they feel about it, and that's okay. But you're way more likely to get a positive result and help them to fix their behavior and get them to stop doing whatever it is if you separate the behavior from the person. Embarrassing them or shaming them is very, very likely to make them dig in on their behavior and also make them focus negative emotions on you. And once those negative emotions are swirling around you, they're not actually able to hear anything constructive that you have to say. Next, while most of us think about sticking up for ourselves, it's actually way more powerful if you confront bias for other people, especially if in that moment you are in the in-group. Biases are effective because in that moment, the biased person has the power. So if you see it, you should say something. What we tolerate, we endorse. What we allow, we support. This can be really, really hard when there's a significant power inequity. So you might wanna start with the indirect ways to support your colleague and confront the bias. If you choose to confront it directly, it can be from a place of support and protection like, hey boss, that comment you made, I'm not sure if you realized it, but I think some people might find it racist. I don't think that's what you meant, so I just wanted you to know. If someone's a bad person, there's not a lot you can do to fix it. You're, they're gonna be who they're gonna be and you're not gonna change that. But if they're a good person, then you might actually be able to affect it. And while a general question or response can be pretty effective in pretty much any situation, if you, now that you know about biases, if you know where it's coming from, if you know what particular bias they're working from, you can actually address that specifically. So if you know they've never worked with someone like you before, you can say, 
I know you've never worked with someone like me before. Do you have any questions? Is there something you'd like to know? If you recognize they're working from a confirmation bias, you can say, it seems like you're having a hard time hearing this type of information. Could we spend some time talking about it? Could we go have coffee and talk about where we're not on the same page? Now, should you have to do this? No, you shouldn't. People should have open minds and treat everyone with respect and it should be an equal world. But we're human and that's not where we are right now. And if you want to try to get ahead, you need to learn how to navigate the system. I am not saying that you need to change who you are and I'm not saying you should have to bend over backwards for the people around you. But at the end of the day, if you see the problem and they don't, you are in a better position to try to make it better. So if you want to make it better, that means sometimes having an uncomfortable conversation and reaching forward to try to connect with somebody. Now they might get defensive or angry at first, so let them, let them process. But ultimately, if they want to grow, they'll be grateful you said something because it's possible you're the first person that ever had the courage to do that. So bias is all around us, including in our own brains. It's not always bad, but understanding where it comes from can help us think and act in a clearer and more equitable way. Confronting non-productive bias is a skill we should all cultivate. And you may not always be able to tell if it's productive or non-productive, so if you're not sure and you're uncomfortable, you should say something. We have to remember though, that the biased person believes that they are doing the right thing based on their understanding and experience. If we insult or humiliate them, no matter how stupid we think their opinions are, in many cases, it ends up turning into attacking who they are. If you approach it from a place of understanding, which can be incredibly difficult when someone has disrespected us or demeaned us, we have to try because then we are more likely to find a way through for both of us. This week, your challenge is to consider your own biases. Do you have a preference to work with certain cultures or genders? If you were starting a new job, what would be your first question if you found out your boss was an Asian woman or a white man or a transgender black woman? If you're hanging out with your friends and someone who looks or acts different from you approaches, what's your gut reaction? Pay attention to your feelings as you encounter people this week and see if you can uncover any of your biases. Then go over to www.levelthepursuit.com and share your ideas for getting past them. That's been our discussion of uncovering bias on Level the Pursuit. Thanks for joining, and I look forward to your comments. If you liked the lesson on bias, please give it a like or subscribe. If you didn't, please comment with how I could do better. Next time, we'll cover giving and receiving feedback. Feedback is a crucial part of business interactions, but it's actually part of our, all of our relationships, so learning to do it well can help you relate better, but also create an environment where people feel comfortable helping you improve. Don't forget to think about your biases this week and head over to www.levelthepursuit.com to share your insights and your successes. I can't wait to learn from your thoughts. Thanks again for joining Level the Pursuit. While we can't choose where we start, we can choose our dreams and how we pursue them. Remember, success is a team sport and there's room for all of us to achieve our goals. So be a good leader, be a good follower, and do something great.